Hello, everybody. Happy Friday, and uh, I hope your week. Uh, I hope your week's going well, despite the craziness in the markets. I guess we can talk a little bit about that as things go on. But uh, let's get. I want to get right to the questions. Um, I got a post I'm putting out after the market closed today that I want to talk about now, and anyone could kind of listen to it. Um, let's see what we're going to do. So let's get right to these questions. Uh, do you think it's reasonable that a lender can charge twice the debt in the case of the GSEs, net worth sweep? And what? Lender can charge whatever they want. It's up to you to accept it as a borrower. Um, the problem with the net worth sweep is that it was an arbitrary change by the lender, right? It's kind of like your credit card company coming to you and saying, you know, look, we charge you 25% interest every month. We're not going to charge you 25% interest any month, but we're just going to take your income which is basically the net worth sweep did. That's the problem. Um, so that's why, you know, that's why people are upset and that's why we have the lawsuits. Um, uh, let's see. Should Fannie and Freddie be labeled systemically important? I don't see how they're going to get around it. Um, you know, if Bank of America is and J.P. Morgan is, then Fannie and Freddie, which combined are the largest financial institutions in the world as far as their holdings and trillions of dollars of mortgages they insure, I don't know how they avoid uh, the SIFI label. And I don't, I don't think it particularly matters. I don't think anyone's thinking they're going to come out and not be um, systemically important. So, um, Not sure the podcast is meant to hear Regarding Fannie Mae and future plans, one proposed idea I'm confused about is the, when the term privatization theme is used. What does that mean? It, there are essentially public companies being run under conservatorship. Does the privatizing mean returning them back to the original state as a public company, or does it mean ending all stock ownership and sending, selling them to a large group of bankers? Are private and public being used interchangeably? What I'm not understanding. So <clears throat> the GSEs right now are, if we back up before conservatorship, GSEs had stock, they traded, they were profit-oriented, um, but they had this government guarantee for their debt, right? An implicit government guarantee that they would not be allowed to fail because they're backed by the U.S. government and their importance to the system. So they were this quasi-private-public ownership, <coughs> right? Um, uh, if you own, you know, if, if Kraft Heinz goes under, the government's not going to come bail out Kraft Heinz. So there's no guarantee the government's going to bail out Kraft Heinz. So it's a private, it's owned privately by private shareholders in uh, mutual funds and hedge funds and things like that. Um, Fannie and Freddie was always partially back so partially owned by the government so when they say privatize them they mean they're going to get rid of that government guarantee of their debt the government backing of the institutions um, if they go under they go under um, so that's what they mean by that they're not going to get rid of all the stock and some of the bankers to run they're you know they're going to keep them public companies in which that private investors will be able to buy stock and private people will have ownership of these two entities i hope i explained that clearly enough um, what deal of Trump are you talking about your message on stock Twitter? About? Oh, so the thought was that, uh, Trump would be perfectly happy to, it was just, I wasn't, it wasn't a, um, prediction or anything like that. It was, it was curiously, I was asking what people thought about it. Uh, if Trump's perfectly happy, you know, GDP was 3.1 Q1, and, um, Q2 has been gauged down from what, you know, high twos to low twos, high ones. Um, if this trade stuff keeps going, Q3 will probably come out, you know, high ones to mid ones. So it'll look like the economy's slowing. Uh, is he happy to sit back and wait for that to happen? Force the Fed to cut rates. 
Then he just negotiates a trade deal that's really no different than what he's on the table in front of him now. Um, so the trade settled, the, the, the Fed cut rates, the trade issues are gone. The market shoots up immediately, right? Uh, GDP estimates get ranked, ranked up right away. Um, and then he can declare victory saying, you see, my great trade deal, the Fed finally listed me in cut rates and look what the economy's doing. I, I don't know that that's going to happen. I was just simply proposing an idea and a thought out there to see how people thought about it. So, And, you know, typical, you get all, all, all kinds of people <laughs> commenting on you. Um, do you come up with only research on your own, as you've described with Violence Survey? Are there other current investors such as Act? Buffett or Ackman that you look at, that they're holding good ideas. What are a couple of the current investors out there you admire? So, I mean, that's so kind of a hard question to answer. Yes, most ideas I come up with my own. Um, but, you know, let's be honest. There's going to be thousands of stockholders of any given thing. So, um, you know, I come up with ideas to the value line. Um, I come up with ideas by looking at sectors that are depressed or hated. And every time I check the news or check in on CNBC or Bloomberg or read the news on my phone, this, this one particular sector is getting bashed every time. Um, and it's selling, you know, well below historical value and they call it bear market and these stocks, whatever. Then obviously I start looking there as an value investor. And if I understand the industry and I think the industry is being unfairly punished for whatever reason, then I'll look for stocks within an industry that I think are going to do the best. And that's kind of how I came across the uh, energy thing and, and things like that. You know, I, I like, everyone knows I, I like Ackman. I like Berkowitz. I like Horizon. Um, I like Seth Klarman. There's a bunch of people out there. I mean, although Klarman has got doctors on his board, so he does a lot of biotech stuff that I can't, you know, I, I don't have a doctorate. I can't evaluate a biotech company as, as well as they can. Um, he does a lot of that stuff. And, you know, it's just watching TV. I read a lot and I'll be reading and have an idea. And the idea will come from something I read and I'll research that idea. And sometimes my research leads me to other ideas. And it's kind of like this, this winding road where one idea hits another, hits another, hits another. And before you know it, you found something that you think is going to be great. So that's how I came across for Morris. I was just, you know, looking through and infrastructure plays in the Permian Basin. And this name came up and it was a small company and... You know, I, I think it's going to have a good upside. Uh, what platform do you use to hold your investors to make trades? So I have different ones because different things, you know, you have a 401k that's held through, you know, this company, you have to hold it in Fidelity or you opened up accounts in E-Trade 10 years ago and you still have them and you have your other um, entities that you're involved in that use interactive brokers and things like that. So I have a mishmash of them and, you know, you have... The problem is if you have a 401k and you want to transfer it to another servicer, the first one makes you liquidate it, transfer the cash over, then you have to buy new shares. Well, if you're going to do that in Fannie Mae right now, that whole process can take you know seven to 10 days, depending on who the two brokers are. Well, if you did that today and then Monday, Mnuchin comes out and says, we're going to recap and release, and this is the terms that we're looking for. I mean, you just sold preferred and common stock of the GSEs that then double on Monday for whatever reason because of whatever plans put out and you're out that appreciation. So I just leave it. I mean, there's no cost in leaving it at any broker. I'm not getting charged each month to have stocks sit there. I mean, if I was an active trader, that'd be a different situation, but I'm not. So it's a little bit of a pain in the ass. I've checked a couple different brokerages for things, but I mean, you know, I'm not being penalized by having, you know, a share of AIG sit in, you know, E-Trade, TD Ameritrade, Interactive Brokers, or Fidelity. There's no loss for me by letting it just sit there. So 
Um, what's the rough split your time spent between keeping up to speed on current investments and researching your opportunities? So usually around earnings, my time is almost always spent current on current stuff, right? They're reporting earnings, they're having earnings calls, they're putting out estimates for next quarter, everyone's reacting to it, everything gets dumped on you within a two or three week time span. You know, sometimes you have four of them, four of them report in a week and you, that's, that's all you're doing that week, right? It's just reading through 10Ks, reading through 10Qs and trying to figure out what went on in the earnings calls and things like that. That's all your time. Then you have those four or five, maybe six weeks in the middle where not much happens, right? It's kind of quiet. Companies just maybe buying back stock. They're not reporting anything. Um, so that's when you do most of your research to find most of your new ideas. And that's helpful because you're doing that at a time just when they reported. So you have the most recent earnings for any idea you find, you have the most recent earnings report, unless they have some kind of weird quarter. But I'm, I'm talking the normal, you know, uh, March, June, you know, October, December quarters. Um, I mean, September, November, December quarters. Um, so then that's when you have your time to kind of find new ideas and research new things. And, you know, a lot of times there's just nothing comes up. So it's just is what it is. Um, Tesla's taken a beating lately. Is there a low price that if they hit, you would consider investing or is the volatility risk from the must tweets too high? And would you avoid the stock no matter how low it goes? Um, so I have no interest in being long Tesla. I think Tesla ultimately could be worth, you know, the 30 to $40. You've seen some predictions on it. If you look at just fundamentally and the way they're deteriorating, you know, for it to be valued at where it is, is ridiculous. <coughs> Um, it's, it's being, if it wasn't Elon Musk running it, it's just a regular car company, it'd be a $30 stock. But there's a cult of Musk and, um, and it's, it's, look, the guy's a genius. There's no, there's no debating that, but just because he's a genius doesn't mean he's going to be a successful CEO running a car company. There's no, you know, if that's true, then only genius would be CEOs and clearly that's not true. So, um, you know, would I be, would I, would I, would I short the living hell out of it at these levels? No, because, you know, if it hits the 150, there's always someone dumb enough to buy something. And someone could come in and buy it at 150. Someone could buy it at 125. So, you know, you could get to a point where, you know, 150, you short the hell out of it. And someone says, we'll give him 184, 200 bucks for it. You know, it's, and they says, he's going to say yes, trust me. He's going to say yes at this point. You know, he's looking at margin calls soon and he's leveraged his entire life to the stock on this. And if the stock keeps going down, he's going to get burned in a major way. So there's incentives for him to do anything he can to sell the company at a certain level. If he can maintain a CEO position, <clears throat> the question is, is anyone going to buy it? Or are they going to wait for the inevitable crash and pick up pieces on the cheap? Who knows? Um, but... Um, yeah, I don't have any desire to be long there. You know, he's he's playing games with tweets and playing semantics things he says, and you know the robo taxis. The the automated driving system doesn't work. It just doesn't work. Consumer Reports came out and said it doesn't work. It's people being killed by this thing. So the, the the illusion that in a year he's going to have a fleet of robo taxis out there navigating the streets of New York City and L.A. It to me it's just it's <coughs> it's fantasy or not right lie made to keep the stock price up. Either way, it's not going to happen. And when it doesn't, there's going to be another huge leg down in the stock. So um, Bruins in five or six. Um, I don't know. The Bruins got their ass kicked the other night. Uh, not on the scoreboard, but physically. Uh, they got beat up by St. Louis. St. Louis was bigger, faster, and stronger the other night. And um, 
looks like Greslick is out for the series. He didn't travel the team there. He's in the concussion protocol. And, you know, you got a seven, if he got a seven-game series, that's, what, 15 days? That's, you know, maybe he makes it back for six or seven, but I wouldn't counter him coming back. And that's a huge loss for the Bruins. He's, he's one of the better players. Uh, the Bruins' top line of Marchant, Bergeron, and uh, Pasternak's been invisible. I didn't even realize Bergeron was playing the other night until the third period. Someone called his name. And he had a shot. I was like, oh, my God, he's in the game. Um, he's, he's been absent, and Marchant on defense, who thought it was directly responsible for Tarasenko's goal. Uh, he's, he's not even playing defense. So, you know, if it wasn't for the open net goal, I, I believe that line would have been completely uh, blanked in the first two uh, games. So, you know, that's not good for them. Um, if the Bruins don't win, don't win game three, I think they lose the series. I honestly do. Um, you know, St. Louis, the crowd, they're, they're going to, they're going to come out fired up from, from the last game and the way they won that game. Uh, they're going to be at home. <clears throat> What's it been 40 years? I since since the, the blues have played in the cup or something like that. I mean, that place is going to be insane. Um, and they're going to come out if they came out hard and heavy in Boston tonight, they're going to come out twice as hard and heavy uh, in St. Louis tomorrow night. And, you know, the Bruins, if they can weather the first period, um, maybe they can do something. But, you know, they looked, Chara looked old the other night. Uh, Bergeron has looked old um, the last, the, that last game. They did not look like a young, fast team. So we'll see what happens. But, um Another game as physical. The first these first games have been amazingly physical, but another game that's this physical in in game three that St. Louis wins. I don't think the Bruins are going to able to come back from that. Um, sorry about that. Uh, initial purchase CSK was six ninety. Is best thesis potential value CSK changed anyway since then? I I, I think that uh, Chesapeake is going to eventually be worth several times what it is now. Uh, which is why I've been buying it as it falls to these levels. I think it's ridiculous at these levels. I think Lawler's done what he said he was going to do. Uh, I think they will be cash flow positive in either Q4, Q1. And when they do, I think people look at it differently. It becomes a different company then. And it becomes not this natural gas-dependent operation that's wallowing at low gas prices. People take it for a second. Oh, wait a minute. 30% of this company is actually an oil company. And they're cash flow positive. And... They are, other than the, the oil majors, you know, that next level down, they are one of the largest oil producers in the nation now when they get to that 30, 35% where they want to be. So I'm, I'm you know, and, and until Lawler doesn't deliver, I'm completely comfortable with Chesapeake Energy. And this is all this assumes that they don't have another asset sale that pays down more debt that, it, that gets them to free cash flow positive even sooner. And once they're free cash flow positive and don't have to sell assets to pay down debt, or can do other things with that free cash flow. It's a, it's a, it's an entirely different company overnight. Um, do you think the process signed trade deal with China will last until twenty twenty election or longer? I, I don't I don't think it'll last past the fall. To be honest with you, I think there's too much pain involved for both sides, and both of them need to get their act together and um, get a deal done sooner rather than later. I really do. So that's where I. Uh, that's where I stand with that. And <clears throat> what do you think of the effects of your portfolio? You know, it's, it's going to trade with the market, right? I mean, I, we don't have any real direct China exposure, you know, other than Apple. Um, but honestly, if Apple, if Apple wants to fall into the $15 to $20 a share, 
I'll be thrilled to buy more around the 150 level. I have no problem with that at all because I know this trade deal eventually is going to get worked out because it's in both sides' interest, best interest to do that. Um, we make an investment, so should we consider only the fundamentals? Shouldn't you also consider geopolitical effect? It depends on the investment. I mean, if you're left, obviously a large part of my thesis in oil right now is the geopolitical and certainly in the Middle East, right? We had U.S. fighters flying with UAE fighters the other day along the Iranian border doing exercises. That is noteworthy, right? I mean, that hasn't happened in a very long time. So, you know, that, that part of the world is becoming a powder keg and you don't know what's going to happen. It could explode any minute. And if it does, oil goes up really fast and we profit. So I think if you're in Howard Hughes, you know, are you worried about the Middle East and, and, and that if, you know, there's, so there's, I guess it depends on the investment, right? You know, I don't have to worry about riots in Venezuela if I'm buying Howard Hughes or if I'm buying Kinder Morgan, right? Venezuelan riots don't affect me because I'm shipping gas within, gas and oil within the United States of America. It doesn't affect them that much. So, you know, it depends on your investment. What do you think of investing in TQQQ? I don't like triple leveraged ETFs or double leverage ETFs on indexes because I don't think, I think that's trading, not investing, and I'm not a trader. Uh, current, vol- market volata- current volatile market, should we hedge your portfolio such as using SQ? No, again, so I, for, for me, he- cash is a hedge. Cash is a hedge, and it's a hedge that doesn't cost you anything, right? If you're, if, if you keep hedging really simple and you're buying puts, in the, you're buying puts every month in the market, or every couple months in the market, you're buying puts to protect against downside, what are you costing yourself every month to occasionally make a little bit? Over time, even 1% a month is huge. It's huge over time. Versus just having a certain amount of portfolio in cash all the time that when the market falls, you go in and buy stuff cheaper so that when the market does recover, you, you have, you're ahead of where you were before the market fell. And not even just the market, if just in your portfolio alone. You, know, you have individual stocks that, for any given reason, can fall 10% in a month or 10 15% in a quarter. Well, if you have cash, you buy them so that when the stock recovers, you're ahead of where you were before it fell. Cash is a hedge. You don't have to pay money to hedge your portfolio and lose a little bit every month because those little losses every month, they really add up over time. You could hedge with bonds or something else. I mean, there's lots of ways to hedge that... You know, you don't have to do that. That's just the way I look at it. So correct me if I'm wrong. I remember Seth Karma says fundamental analysis and trading strategy are mostly equally important. I have found that 90% of mistakes are due to bad timing, strategies and trading. So I, I don't I guess are you trading or are you investing? Because you know, I don't personally I don't trade in and out of stocks. Um, you know, I buy it and if the thesis of it's worth X the next number of years, and I'm perfectly happy to sit there and wait till it gets there. Um, you know, maybe I'll sell some puts along the way and things like that, but I don't really consider that active trading in the stock. That's more of a, you know, I'll sell this put and if it falls to this level, I'm happy to buy it here. So it's kind of a, a lazy way to buy stocks and a way to stop you from paying too much for it. And if your doesn't drop, then you collect a little money here and there. So, um, you know, it's just, I just, I think it's, you know, if you're actively trading in and out of stocks or any positions, are are you investing or trading? And... I can't give you advice on trading because I really don't do it. Um, do you have any books to recommend to us? What do you think of this book? Mar- I, market Wizards interview. I like all the Market Wizards book. I think they're all fantastic. I have no complaint about any of them at all. 
Um, I've enjoyed every one of them. It doesn't mean I sign on to the <clears throat> philosophy of any of them or I try and replicate the um, activity in any of them. Uh, it just means that I enjoyed the book and I enjoy reading that stuff. So, um, you know, you could have a trading quote strategy of buying a stock at 20 and selling puts 10% below it every month, right? So that if it doesn't drop 10%, you make a little money and the puts that you sell because they expire worthless. And if it drops 10%, you buy more cheaper. And instead of buying it, chasing it higher, you wait for a pullback and you buy it. And it kind of forces discipline on you that way. That's nothing wrong with that. Um, okay. Another question. Once Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, prefers to actually par value, should we sell them immediately and wait for the conversion to come in and sell after the price jump on commons? What is your perspective? Okay, so this leads into um, what I wanted to talk about today anyway. So I have um, rethought my... Let me just make sure. I want to go through real quick and make sure there's no pod crash questions here because I did um, miss one last time and I do apologize for that. I don't <clears throat> like doing that, but um, got so many emails that every now and then <coughs> one of them does tend to slip between the cracks. And I apologize uh, for the person I'd have to do last week. I did answer that question this week, but I want to make sure that it's not about to happen again. Yeah, I think I got them all. Okay, so um, I'm going to post this at the end of the day today. <clears throat> simply because <coughs> I want everyone it's it's a it's a complicated thing we're dealing with here and I don't want people rushing at 345 to um uh, try and do a trade and then regret it over the weekend I wish I hadn't done it whatever I want everyone to be able to think about it over the weekend um because there's no there's no clear-cut decision to be made here so I want to make sure everyone has time to kind of digest it and then they make their own decision on Monday what they want to do and, and everyone's kind of on the same foot. So basically, here's the post. I've been dying over the GSE, GSE share position for a while. Um, it's been something I'm going back. We get questions all the time about it. I'm going back and forth about it. And I think I found a way to make it as simple as possible for me, which is what I like. Um, so given recent events and the Lambert decision pertaining to the junior preferred shareholders, I've made some changes. Okay, Why? I remain of the opinion preferred shares eventually get converted at par. Current litigation over Lambert pertains only to junior preferred shareholders, not the common. Should the preferred not be converted at par, the risk of common shares being eliminated rises substantially, right? <clears throat> I, I, I haven't found a scenario yet where you've had a restructuring, and this isn't really a restructuring, it's just a, it's kind of a quasi-restructuring capital raise, where common holders keep their value, but preferred holders don't get par. I haven't found it yet. So I'm of the opinion that even if preferred shareholders don't get par, which I think is highly unlikely, then common shareholders have to get diluted and squashed to a fraction of their current value. All right, so that's where I'm kind of in with that. Common shares still can say some risk given whatever type of plan comes out of Treasury. Yeah, Calabria did say they would, they would continue to trade. But does that continue to trade at 2 or $3 a share or $0.10 cents a share? We don't know. It depends what they come out with. And until we do, there's a significant downside risk to the common shares. Post-restructuring, post-recap and release, whatever you want to call it, 
Common shares do have upside, significant upside long term, but it's unknown if this is new or existing common. I think it's going to be existing in a combination with new, but we don't know the price that that's going to take, take, uh, happen at yet. So in this case, what to do? So I've sold all but a tiny portion of my common stock. I've sold my $25 par value, the S series, and bought the LM&M series, $50 par. Okay, why? So currently the $25 pars are mostly trading about 50 to 60% of par. Well, at least they were, you know, a day or so ago. While the 50s are trading at roughly 40 to 45% of par. So simply by making that switch, you get 10%. You know, maybe 12, maybe 8, depending on what the pricing is. But you get 10%. And if you're talking conversion, you're getting 10% more shares in your conversion if you convert a par. So to me, that's huge, right? Because if you're looking at long-term upside in the common, having 10% more shares, that's really good. Under Delaware law, if plaintiffs win, they're entitled to prejudgment interest as one of the damages. That typically comes to, this is according to David Thompson, plaintiff's attorney, this typically comes to about 6% on the low end, and the courts are kind of split on whether it's compound or simple um, from the data injury which would be from September 2012, the enactment of the net worth sweep. Total damages, he said, would be they'd be looking for about 150% of par value for the, for the preferred. Okay, that means $50 par would get 75. 25 would get 37.50. Rather than paying cash, that amount could be rolled into a conversion, right? Instead of paying on cash, they say, well, we'll convert you at 150% of par, give you extra common shares. Um, that's just a scenario it's not likely or what's going to happen it's just all everything i'm giving you are scenarios and it leads to why i made the trade i made common shares may not may not also participate in this as only the junior preferred dividend rights are being disputed in court this means preferred shares are likely to be converted in common even a higher ratio <clears throat> if that scenario happens the common may trade very low pre-capital raise to help with the raise why new new money is going to want to own as much of the new entity as possible. So if you're raising $100 billion and common shareholders, you know, have, I don't, I don't know, I'm throwing numbers out, 20 billion of it. Well, if you're raising 80 billion in new money, right, you want that 20 billion squashed to 10, right? Because you want to own 90%. So there's a scenario where the common shareholders, they just get eviscerated, diluted to the point where their shares become very, very inexpensive. Pre, pre, and then the, the, they raise the equity of more common. Now, the preferred might convert after that. Right? Preferred doesn't have to convert the same time they do a common equity raise. So that's what they decide to do. They could convert the preferred shares after. In which case, the preferred shares would, curt, would convert and share the same upside as the common post-recap but they wouldn't suffer the same dilution beforehand. Does, does that make sense? So they'd be converting at more advantageous terms than what the common would get. So what's the thought process? In either scenario, either preferred is, is converted with common and then diluted, or preferred is converted after the common is diluted, 
both the current preferred and current comments share the same post recap and release upside, right? No matter what happens, once they're recapped and released, if they're all converted to common, they all share the same upside. It's what happens before and during the recap and release that I think gives holding the $50 preferred shares so much advantage, okay? If they're converted pre-recap pre and release and they're diluted, it's no different than owning the common, except, right, I get 100% more money because my, my converted shares have to go to par, so I'm gonna double my money from here, then we both get diluted, right? If that doesn't happen, the commas diluted first, they raise that money, then I'm converted, then I still get my 100% from our current levels, but then I'm converted at a much better ratio, a much better price, and I share the same upside as common. So I just think that from the risk-reward, and there is always a scenario where the common gets wiped out. I mean, there's always that, so maybe it's a 2% chance or 3% or 5%, 10%, what do you say? whatever you say is want to be, there's always that scenario. But I don't see a scenario where the preferred holders, given the fact that we have a trial coming up, get left out of the situation. In the worst case scenario, we convert at 50%, convert at 60%, whatever we convert it at, what that means the common's got to go. So I think that the best upside is in the common, is in the $50 preferred shares right now. It's the safest. It shares in the upside post recap and release. It minimizes the risk for the actual recap and release. And you have the most upside from right here, from right now. There is a scenario where <clears throat> I'm 100% wrong and the common goes high. Well, then I still have a small amount of common I'll profit on. I'm still going to get 100% of my preferred because the common goes to seven, eight bucks. The preferred's going to par. And then if I'm converted, I still make money with the common the upside down the road. So every scenario I can come up with, I think owning the $50 preferreds gives me excellent upside, post recap and release, um, parity with the common stock is sharing in the upside and is the safest where I have the least risk of, of losing a significant amount of money on that. So that's why I did what I did. That's where I'm at with that. <coughs> um, sorry, allergies are going crazy. If you want to ask questions about it, you know, send them, put them on the blog, send them me in for next week's podcast. If I end up getting a ton of questions on it over the weekend, then I, I you know, I'll, I'll maybe just do another podcast on Monday. It'll be easier probably to explain it that way and answer questions that way than to try and answer them individually on the blog and just do the blog post. And I want to miss anyone's ideas and anyone's thoughts. So that's always something we can do. Um, so that's where I am and that's what, I've, that's what I'm doing. So, um, you know, do what you want to do and think what you want to think about it. But that's my entire thought press regarding that. I think it's the safest of shares on the upside. And I think it gives me, um, I think it gives me the highest likelihood of, of doubling my money. And then from there on, who knows what happens once it all gets converted. It could double again. I have no idea. But in the near term, I think that's where I'm at. Um, so that's that, that's, that's the podcast for this week. I don't know how long I've been talking for. Hopefully it hasn't been that long. 
Uh, oh, it's a quick one. Only about a half hour so far. So a um, couple things. Remember the app. You can download it. A bunch of people have downloaded the app. A bunch of people are just downloading it themselves. I've been really happy with the number of downloads. Um, that means I'm not completely wasting my time doing this. And that um, obviously um, the downloads are increasing each week. So people are finding some value in it. I think that's fantastic. Um, I don't know if everyone got the email, but um, there's an affiliate program that we have. Um, and basically what that means is that uh, everyone who signs up gets their own individual link. Uh, the link you can share on any social media site. You can email it. You can do whatever you want with that link. Anyone who clicks on that link and goes through and signs up, uh, you will be paid 20% of every payment they make to me. Um, so it's a way for both of us to share in the success of value plays. Um, I don't think it would take very much effort for some people to get free memberships. Um, basically you'd be, uh, being, oops, sorry. Basically you'd be paying, um, you'd be getting paid more than you're paying each month. And so that makes value plays a profit operation for you aside from what you may make off any of the investments. So I think that's a pretty good thing. Um, with the um, with the uh, affiliate link, there's a coupon, VP30. It's off the established prices on the website. 30% uh, coupon, 35% thing, whatever it is, 33% coupon uh, that you can offer to new people. And again, as long as they're members, as long as they pay, you get paid and you'll have your own dedicated dashboard when you log into the, <clears throat> to your, to your um, site where you can check your earnings, check your payments, everything like that. Uh, you'll get emails telling you how much you're getting and when it's going to be sent. Payments will be sent, you know, first of the month and that kind of thing. So I just thought it was a way. I know people have been referring people to me for years. Um, and I thought this was a nice way to say thank you and, um, you know, if if membership grows, there's no reason we all can't benefit for it. And if you're going to be out there um, helping me promote the website, you should be getting paid for that effort. It shouldn't be a freebie. And this is an easy way for me to do it. And hopefully it takes off. Hopefully it works. Hopefully you like it. And, you know, heck, it'd be nice if, you know, some of you guys can make two, three hundred bucks a month off being a member here. <laughs> it'd be it'd be well worth it for you. So. Um, so that's it. If anybody has any questions on that, give me a call. You know, I've sent a couple emails out on it. I'll send another one out. And I think I have a, I think I have a site right on a, a webpage on there for it. You can just click it and sign yourself up and get started right away. There's really nothing to it. Uh, just log in, put your name and uh, whether you want to be paid with an actual check or paid through PayPal. Um, you know, if you want to be paid through check, obviously you got to put your address stuff in there. If you want to be paid through PayPal, just a PayPal address. And you're, you're literally in five minutes, you're ready to go, not even. And so that's, that's what I have for this week. Um, I hope everybody has a fantastic and safe weekend. Um, like I said, I'll, uh, four o'clock today, I mean, a couple minutes before, um, that blog post will hit and you guys will be able to go through it over the weekend and then um, decide what you feel like you're going to do on the other end and you want to do it. I know some people are are dead for the common and think the common is going to go through the roof and that's the place to be. You know, Ackman thinks that. I don't know if he doesn't prefer it at all. So there's there's two sides to the investment, two sides of the thought process. So um, I'm just doing this one because this is what I feel gives me the, there's no guarantee, but the most likelihood of a 100% outcome in my investment. And then I get to share in the stock appreciation 
uh, recap with the common. So that's that's why I went the way I did. So again, have a great weekend. Um, please please email any questions. Uh, email them with podcasts because if I do get enough of them and if I decide to do a podcast on Monday, just put podcasts in the headline. I don't want to miss anyone's questions because I know it's frustrating to send a question on a Wednesday and listen to the podcast Friday night and I missed it. Um, and I, I, know I recognize that's frustrating. So it just it lowers the chance of me doing that <clears throat> if you, if you um, send your question that way. So have a great weekend, everyone. Thank you so much.